I'm Rebecca, and we are Mama Bear Apologetics. Apologetics. We're just two gals talking about life's big questions from a biblical worldview. Because when it comes to the battle of ideas, we need to be able to say, mess with my kids and I will demolish your arguments. You mess, I demolish. Got it? Capiche? (laughs) (laughs) Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Okay, so this is the Mama Bear episode, and we're still trying to figure out exactly how to title this. Uh, we're basically going to be discussing the debate with Bart Ehrman and Justin, and then also the apologetics conference the day after. Yeah, I would say it's can it's probably the most basic question to ask about our faith. Can we trust the New Testament? Yes. That, actually, that's a really good question. Uh, condensed version of probably what we're going to talk about. So we were at a debate this weekend with a friend of ours, Justin Bass, and he was debating Bart Ehrman. So Rebecca, tell us a little bit about what you know about Bart Ehrman. Well, I know that even if you parents have not heard of Bart Ehrman, um, your children will most likely hear of him um, when they go to college. And most certainly if they go to a secular college, he is very popular in the skeptic community because he is a New Testament scholar and he's quite the scholar. He has the credentials. Um, he actually started out as a conservative evangelical. He, he went, started out yeah. to Moody Bible College, yeah. and then it wasn't until he went to Princeton, which is a very liberal seminary, that he started having questions. And I think it's interesting how he always acts like, well, I just started questioning things. It's like, no, you do realize you went to an indoctrination. Right. <laughs> Although the scholar he worked under while he was in Princeton is a was a... Um, New Testament scholar that was a Christian. Okay. So I think I think the thing with Bart um, Ehrman is that he had a very rigid understanding of the Bible, and when he first heard that there are discrepancies and that there are um, textual variants, that means variance between the copies, it just rocked his faith, and um, he never recovered. He never really recovered, and of course, you know, I'm sure the story is much more complex. Oh than, yeah, it than always maybe is. even he even knows. Yeah. So Bart Ehrman is very well known. He has he's written a dozen books in the past ten years. He's been several of them have made it to the New York Times bestseller list. Can you, uh, so the one that I'm thinking of uh, immediately is misquoting Jesus. Yes, yeah, misquoting Jesus. And was, then what are some of the other ones that you can think of? That's the only one I can think of right now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll look those up. He's also been on a number of TV shows. You'll probably often see him on the History Channel. History Channel likes to go to him as a as an expert, as an unbiased expert. Unbiased expert. Yeah. Well, not only really the History Channel, but I don't know. You're familiar with the Great Courses. It's that kind that comes out with the different CDs where you can in different uh, you know learning about math or history or how to be a great speaker but yeah. one of the things that drives me nuts is almost everything that has to do with the New Testament or with Jesus is done by Bart Ehrman on the great courses yes and it's like I guarantee that there is no Muslim CDs or you know lectures on Islam or on Muhammad that aren't done by a Muslim scholar right. who believes in Islam and Muhammad and the reliability of the Quran. I guarantee none of them for that or for, you know, Buddhism, whatever. They're all done by followers. For some reason, Christianity is the one thing where they're like, let's get someone who completely doesn't agree with any of this and have them be the ones to teach it. Right. So I just think that's, I don't know, that 
bothers me. Yeah, Bart Bart Ehrman is a force to contend with because he's well known and skeptics love him. Um, what's very interesting too is one thing your children may run into is that there's a whole group of people, skeptics these days, that are saying that Jesus never even existed, um, that he was a complete myth. We call him mythicists. And that's, Bart, well, that's where Bart's your friend. That's where Bart is our friend because he says that's ridiculous. You know, even as skeptical as he is, he accepts that Jesus, there was a man named Jesus and he was crucified. And he even accepts that his followers really thought that he was raised from the dead. I, yeah, he, he believes that the followers truly believed it. He doesn't yeah. even say, oh, you know, that the whole liar thing that went away a long time ago because who's going to be like tortured horrifically right. <laughs> for something? They're like, ah, I was just kidding. Yeah. That didn't happen. So, yeah, in that sense that he's, uh, he's actually... You know, good. It's funny. There was a friend of mine. Um, she and her husband uh, went to the Palouse, Melissa Palou. Mm -hmm. They went to Skepticon over somewhere on the East Coast. But they said that the two people that the people at Skepticon hated the most, William Lane Craig and Bart Ehrman. What? Wow. I thought that was funny. I could understand William Lane Craig, but but wow, Bart Ehrman. Well, because too. he won't go along with the myth or claim. Yeah. Because he yeah. realizes that's ridiculous. And the Skepticon people, I guess, are really liking the, the yeah. mythical. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, misquoting Jesus, Jesus interrupted. And then the, the important one that they were debating, how could I forget the other night, um, that book, these are books by Bart Ehrman, um, was how Jesus became God. Because he yes. claims that this idea of Jesus becoming God actually evolved over time, that it was not something Jesus taught that he himself was God, and that his followers over time evolved this, embellished, it. embellished the story that Jesus was actually God. God. And that was what they were debating on Friday night. And I would like to recognize some of the some of the points that he made that I actually it's I heard some of the, some of our friends kind of poo pooing some of his arguments, and I'm like, no, actually, I think that's a pretty good argument. I think I think uh -huh. no, I think our arguments are better, and so you have to weigh them against each other. But I think he had a valid point. The idea that John's the only one that really kind of overtly has mm -hmm. Jesus claiming to be God, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's asking, you know, why would these ones that were so close kind of fail to mention, oh, Jesus claimed to be God. And it's not that there aren't any. I think if you look at the phrase son of man, mm -hmm. that one's going to come up a lot into where, you know, especially at the trial before, um, was it Pilate that ripped his clothes because of blasphemy? or was well, it? No, it was uh, Caiaphas, the Caiaphas. high priest. Yes, yeah, the, the high Jewish priest. high priest. I mean, why would he scream blasphemy, you know, if, if Jesus... Yeah, and Jesus didn't correct him and yeah. say, wait a minute, no, I'm not claiming to be God. Don't crucify me. <laughs> yeah, you know? no, you've got this all wrong. <laughs> no, he didn't do that. And so, but I mean, it's not as overt. And so I can understand where he says, why would they Why didn't Jesus say, look, I'm God? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean. But there's a way to answer that. There that, are ways to answer that, it. That's, that's very fascinating. But Bart, it, he doesn't really want to. He's not interested in the answer. Yeah, no. Yeah. I thought he he stayed, eh, you know, somewhat objective for a large part of the of the debate, and then like the last twenty minutes was just kind of the gospel according to Bart mm -hmm. of, oh well, they got together and then they made this up, and you're like, okay, so what's your evidence for the fact that all these guys got together and made this up? Kind of like um, he was asking about how none of the disciples were there. When uh, when Jesus was being questioned by the high priest and by the Romans and all that, that you know his disciples had have, had all fled. So how do we really know what was said there? And so he claimed that since all the disciples had fled, we really don't know what happened there. But someone actually in the audience brought up uh, was it 
not Josephus. Who was it? Who was the the rich guy that was he? His, oh, his tomb Nicodemus. He was Nicodemus. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and so he or was not, there. Joseph of Arimathea. Thank you. Yeah. That's who it was. And Joseph. Nicodemus. Yeah, Nicodemus they were probably both there. there. And well, and I think there is, and this is not a new one thing that you need to make sure your children know is none of this stuff is new. This has been in the text for two thousand years. Yeah. People are not all of a sudden smart enough that they can see it. No, people saw these things when they were written down. But this idea that who, how did Mark? know or how did the the marker Luke or John I can't remember which one it's in know what was said in the Sanhedrin when Jesus was on trial all the other disciples had fled well first of all we get from other places that there were believers in the Sanhedrin yes. and they they were scared and they were quiet yeah second thing that we learn also is that there were I think it's an axe um, and I, I should look it up, but there were some people that ended up being part of the early church that were servants of yes. Caiaphas. So there are multiple ways you can get this information. And don't you think that the early readers of these Gospels asked those same questions? Yeah. And, or either that to them, it was obvious. The answer was obvious. Yeah. And it wasn't such a big deal. Why all of a sudden, 2,000 years later, are we just so much smarter that we can see these things? <laughs> <laughs> they must not have noticed Well, they beforehand. were because they didn't They didn't have te television back then. They were dumb. Oh, of course. You know. Yeah. yeah. Not to mention that they could, you know, remember probably like 500 pages worth of text, you know, off of memory. Memory. But, but we're so much smarter. But they believed in these gods and stuff. So they, they we can't trust them at all because they were idiots. <laughs> I, it, that is a, what, I don't know what you call it, but it's this sort of hubris of looking back. There's a word for it, but you look back on history. Is it anthropocentrism? No, that's where man is sort of the center, I think. But yeah, it's... It's something like that where it's it's taking your own culture and it's looking back and saying our culture is so much better. Yeah, we know so much more and we can just totally disregard what all these people say. They have no wisdom whatsoever because they got these other things wrong. Yeah. I certainly hope people in the future don't do that to us because there's a lot we're getting wrong. Oh, today. you know they will. You know they will. But anyway, no that that was that's an important yeah, that that whole thing. I and I think one of the things that um is just important to know about Bart Ehrman is that he's written a lot of books. A lot of professors like to trot him out to mm -hmm. rock the faith of their young Christian students. And so it's really important for students to be aware of Bart. Actually, at the school that my girls attend, I just found out that the seniors spend some of their some of the years studying Bart Ehrman and his really? works and what's wrong with it. Nice! I know, isn't that awesome? And Justin... They had Justin come and speak to the um, to the class and everything. So, yeah, it's that big a deal. Um, his work and the misrepresentation. And one of the a really good book um, that I did a book review on about a year ago was one written by Dr. Daryl Bach. He is a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, New Testament scholar. And it's called Truth in a Culture of Doubt. It's looking at Bart Ehrman's work, and it is an excellent book. I highly recommend it. I learned just a lot about Bart Ehrman's MO, and his main modus operandi is just not looking at conservative scholars' work. Yeah, it's uh, the thing that kept coming to mind when we were listening is kind of a joke that my dad always says where he says, democracy is the worst government in the world except for all the other ones, mm -hmm. or the worst form of government. And it's this idea that yeah. everything that we have has problems, and so we can look at it and be like, oh, this is the absolute worst. Well, unless you look at all the other ones, and even if it's the best out of all of them, yeah, 
it, it, it's still going to have problems. And so you can always look at anything. A hyperskeptic is going to look at almost anything and they're going to find all the problems. And then they're not going to compare it to what else do we have available to us. So some of the notes that I took on here uh, that we're talking about, the problems that, that Bart Ehrman has with the New Testament documents is the amount of time that he sees being between when the actual events happened mm -hmm. and when we have our first recorded testimony of it. And mm -hmm. it, the people have a bunch of different dates. I guess the one that would be the larger date would be 60 years. And mm -hmm. I can hear Dr. Daryl Brock saying over again, 60 years, you yes. know, kind of imitating Bart Ehrman. But which sounds really you know, oh, well, then how can we know for sure? But let's take a look at some of the other Greco-Roman historians of the time. So mm -hmm. here, here's a list of some of them. You might not be familiar with a lot of these, but these are considered very credible sources historically. So we've got Pliny the Elder. That's a 700-year gap. Yeah. Plutarch, 800 years. Josephus, 800 years. Polybius, 1,200 years. Pausanias, 1,400 years. Herodotus, his book, Histories, 1,500 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, the gaps that we have for pretty much other ancient manuscripts are ridiculous. And so if we're going to also look at the number of manuscripts that we have. So there's four times more the new te uh, number of New Testament manuscripts within the first 200 years than the average Greco-Roman author has in 2,000 years. Right, wow. Yeah, and so again, for, uh, the, for the average classical write, um, author... We usually don't have any manuscripts within 900 years. That's just on average. Obviously, we heard some that were earlier. But 900 years after the New Testament, we have almost 1,000. Wow. So, yeah. again, you can say that the New Testament is horribly attested to unless you count all other ancient manuscripts. Right, right. Yeah. And and one thing people will bring up is, oh, the discrepancies be in between the manuscripts. You know, there's all these errors in the copying. and But when you really look at the errors, the vast majority of them are in just like articles, the, a, yeah. you know, little things switched out. Commas. Commas, yeah. Well, they don't have commas. Well, but, yeah. Yeah, but, but yeah, just sim simple little jot, things. Jots and tittles. Yeah, <laughs> jots and tittles. Yeah, it's all just... Just little things, um, none of the core beliefs, um, core doctrines of our faith are affected by any of these. And that is very misleading for skeptics to say that and not tell you, okay, when someone says that there's all these errors, okay, well, where are the errors? Yeah. And you look at and they say, they give you a number and of how many errors there are. Well, what percentage of that is mm -hmm. compared to all the things that are right? Yeah. And that's those are two things you need to look at. Don't let your faith get rocked by some confident skeptic who comes along and just throws out this information. Make them tell you, yeah. you know. And uh, Dan Wallace, he's, uh, he's the head of the Center for the study of New Testament manuscripts mm -hmm. over at, he's also at Dallas Theological and they basically have the best database of all the New Testament manuscripts that have been found in the ancient world and photographing them in I mean really really incredible detail people call him a modern day Indiana Jones because <laughs> he does he goes off to these obscure places because he hears that there's a manuscript that's mm -hmm. been found or that's known of and he'll go because he wants to get he wants to get pictures, get it digitized. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, wonderful. And it, there's more turning up every day. Yeah. So. They just got a big opportunity over, I think it was in Greece, for one of the libraries there that they were going to be moving all the all the things somewhere else. And so they're like, well, if you're going to photograph them, you have to do them now. And nobody else has been allowed in there yet. Wow. But um, anyway, so, but Dan Wallace, I remember hearing a talk that he gave about how these, you know, 
variants are. So say that you have one text that has you know this letter or this article, mm-hmm. and then you have 1,600 texts that all have the other one. Well, suddenly now you have 1,600 variants. It's the same, but it's just copy. They're copying that error that's yeah. repeated. Yeah, yeah. and so, so but you, you can't can... look at that data. Then you have to look at yeah. Yeah. Because one of the things that Bart Ehrman likes to say is that there's more variation than, in, there are words. than there are words in the New Testament. It's like, well, you kind of have to look at how he's coming up with that number. Because if you have, like, you know, one change in article... It's so... Um, it's deceptive. It's very deceptive. And, and it's really not fair. Because a lot of people are reading it and, and they're intimidated by his authority and popularity. Yeah. And... Um, Who am I to say that this New Testament scholar who has all these PhDs And he is used to believe this stuff. Yeah. But I think one of the he things... He was convinced by the evidence that it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, that's what he says. He said, I just want people to question. Well, yeah. How about question you, too? <laughs> was... One of the things that I learned from the book mm-hmm. is that he seems to have gone from a hyper-fundamentalism in Christianity where it was like, you know, he, he had this very strict understanding of inerrancy and... And um, and inspiration, and then he's just switched that extremism to skepticism. Now he's a like a skeptical fundamentalist, and so now he's hyper hyper skeptical, and nothing's gonna pass the test for him. Just like he was that way when he was a Christian. So yeah. that's one key point that maybe it's more of a personality thing with Bart Ehrman than anything than evidence. Yeah, there was a debate that he and Dan Wallace did. Uh, was it like four years ago? Yeah, it was funny because we found out that you were there and Justin <laughs> was there and all of our little circle of friends was all there, but we didn't know each other yet. Yeah. But Justin, actually, and it came out at the conference. I didn't realize that this question was the one that Justin had asked. Yes, and we all remembered this question, <laughs> but we didn't know that it was we Justin. Know it was Justin. <laughs> uh, but he asked, what would it take for you to believe that this uh, is an accurate representation? Because Bart's being thing with with the New Testament documents is how do you know for sure? That's what he will say over and over again. How do you know for sure? We that's don't a have good, that's a good impersonation. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, like we don't have the originals. We don't have copies of the originals. We don't have copies of the copies or copies of the copy. And he'll just keep saying this over and over again. And so Justin went up and asked, okay, so what would it take for you to believe that we actually have what they wrote? And he said something dated within two weeks of the event. That's when he'll believe. That's when he'll believe. You know what? I just pray that God, like, delivers something and, like, that Dan Wallace discovers something. And that would be great. take it and say, okay, Bart, do you believe? And we'll see Bart's true colors. Yeah. You know, what it really is. Because it's it's a volitional. It's yeah. not intellectual. Well, it's like, uh, it's like Dan Wallace when uh, at the other debate with Dan Wa- Not Dan Wallace. I'm sorry. Dan Barker, president of the Freedom From Religion Foundation, and he actually finally admitted that even if Jesus did raise from the dead, he would still not believe and he would choose to go to hell. Yeah, because he had convinced himself that Jesus was actually evil. Yeah, that he was evil. Yeah. He didn't want to be with that God. Uh, so I think you mentioned that someone else asked, are there any other texts from antiquity that meet your criteria? Mm-hmm. And he said no. Yeah. He said there was nothing that met his criteria. So basically he could be skeptical about everything. And I just have to mention that if your criteria for judging something rules out all of history, mm-hmm. you need to reevaluate <laughs> your criteria because right. that's that's ridiculous. Especially that's, if you're a historical scholar. Yeah, if you're a historical <laughs> scholar. I mean, your whole job is saying we don't know anything. Thank you for coming. Bye-bye. <laughs> I mean, that's all you can really do. Right. 
And, and so, yeah, I just thought that was ridiculous. So that's one of the things that when your kids start coming to you with questions about this, you don't need to fear yeah. that, you know, oh, are there that many variants? And, you know, is it that unreliable? No, go ahead and check it out in comparison to all the other documents and all the other texts and books and uh, writings of ancient scholars that we do say. And, and we'll have on the website our, um, some recommend, recommended reading. Yeah. We'll put together a really good list for you to be able to deal directly with some of these claims. Because it's not just Bart that's making it, but he's, yeah. the, he's, the, making, he's the loudest one he's and the, the most loudest popular. One. But that your kids are going to run into it, and it's a question that they should ask. Mm-hmm. Um, because the New Testament is the source of all of our information about Jesus. It's not a bad thing. to. It's something that I had to go through at one point. Um, not just accept it you know, because that's what they learned in church, but understand it. And, and unfortunately, churches don't teach this yeah. as much. Maybe yours did, maybe, when yeah, you were growing up. But a lot of churches don't teach this. And the I don't know why, because the pastors had it in seminary. I don't know why they they don't think their congregation needs needs to know it, but they do. Well, it um, goes back to that that quote that I that my old small group leader used to say, that 10% of people think... think Ten percent think they think, and the other eighty percent would rather die than think. Ten <laughs> percent think. Ten percent think, think they, they think. think. Okay, eighty percent would rather die than think. And so I think a lot of times the the pastors are just preaching to that eighty percent that just kind of want to know what does the Bible say, and I believe it. That's good. Well, enough for they me. don't need to be preaching to them. <laughs> yeah. You know, they need to be getting them to think. Yeah. And uh, anyway, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> Love God with all your mind. Yes, it's that's part minute. of it. And, and and so many times you, I bring that up and, and, and I have people immediately say, well, but, you know, that's you can't just be all head knowledge. And I, I'm, I'm like, I'm not saying be all head knowledge. Have some, some you know, head knowledge with the devotional aspects of your life, with the serving and the, the you know, when you know it really will. Yes, there are people out there that all they care about is head knowledge. And and it and but it doesn't change. That's a personality change thing. That is a personality. Don't put everyone in that category. It's not like the head knowledge turned them into that. It's probably that they were already like that. Yeah. Without Christ, if they were skeptics, and they're they probably would be like that, that yeah. with Christ. Well, I mean, even Christians who are that really love to debate. Sometimes you'll get those types in apologetics because they love to debate when that's they're such not. That's a good point. About yeah. you know when it's not about Christian stuff, and so now that they found something that they can debate within Christianity. Well, they're going to do that, too. That's a personality thing. That's not a flaw in apologetics. Right. That's a very good point, actually. You should write a blog post about that <laughs> because it really is. It's a personality thing. It's not a, it's not a very good argument against teaching people some of these um, more scholarly type, scholarly type information. You know, this is there. You can trust these texts actually. I, when I read this stuff, I am, my faith is increased even more. Yes. Because I can see the wisdom of God and what he did. One of the things we'll talk about is some of the discrepancies between some of the accounts, like say one woman at the well, uh, one woman at the tomb saw two men. Another woman said that there were one or one gospel said there were two men. One gospel said there were two angel or one angel. Mm -hmm. You know, what was it? Well, we don't know. And yeah. that's a small detail. The, the key was that the, the, the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. <laughs> and, you know, I'd probably be pretty shocked if I saw an angel and an empty tomb. I probably wouldn't remember. You've mentioned that before, that you pretty much oh my terrified gosh. I angel. am terrified. If I were to see an angel, it would just... I would be... I would be I, well, you know, every time people fall Do not be feet. afraid. Yeah, because I would be... I would really freak out. Mm-hmm. But... 
the fact that we have those, you open your Bible right now and you will see those accounts. That's 2,000 years ago, transmitted, copied, copied, copied. The church could have changed that yeah. to just one or two because that's that looks like that could be an embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Well, which one is it? Yeah. Well, We don't quite have enough time to get into that for this episode. I think we should uh, probably record another one talking specifically about yeah. some of those variants. But I hope that this has given y'all just an idea of what to look for when your kids are saying, can the New Testament be... Is it, is it verifiable? Is it is it reliable? That's what I was looking for. And, and one key thing is all this stuff that Bart Ehrman brings up is none of it is unknown to New Testament scholars, liberal and conservative. Yeah. Many New Testament scholars that are committed Christians, faithful Christians, are aware of all these things, and it has not hurt their faith. Yeah. If that is enough for you and you don't want to dig, then rest in that. Um, and and they are um, well-known and well-respected New Testament scholars. And Bart, you know, is not the only one. Yeah. But I would, if, you're, if your children are coming and they really are having trouble with this, I would encourage them to dig more. I would yes. maybe try to, and we'll, uh, we'll recommend a couple of authors on the website that, that you should kind of steer towards. Because they're going to, of course, go and find, you know, all the liberal scholars that they can think of and say, oh, no, oh, no. If we can guide that pursuit a little bit to mm-hmm. some of the one the, the people who haven't just discredited everything, or you teach them the right questions to ask, the questions like, are there any ancient manuscripts that fit mm-hmm. this criteria? Mm-hmm. Are there any ancient writers that match this criteria? What is the most attested to book uh, of ancient times? You start asking the right questions and suddenly the New Testament documents start being more and more verified. And I think one thing maybe we'll talk about next time is that what, when Hillary and I were at this conference the next day after the debate, we just looked at each other and said, this is something that kids need to hear at home first. Yes. Yes. And so I really highly recommend you looking into these issues. Um, we'll have some resources again, like we said, and we'll have some blog posts on it. And just teach your kids this already don't get don't let them have this idea that the bible it just have wrong expectations of the bible well of, of also the New testament if they discover it on their own it's suddenly why have you been hiding this from me right. and not okay well, this is what some people are saying let's address what they're saying i think it's always a lot it's a lot scarier to discover something on your own because you think what else has been hidden from yeah. you and then just the final aspect of understanding how all of this got written down how all of this um, what is what is behind it's just not some book that you open up and you read there's a whole history and there are actual human lives behind all these writings it just brings it brings it to life even more and it will increase your faith because you will see how God really did use as faulty human beings yeah. to get his message out, which is just an amazing thing. Which we'll talk about that in uh, one of the upcoming episodes, too, on just uh, memory. Uh, mm-hmm. The idea of how does God use memory and does this, the research that we have with memory, does that match the way the New Testament documents are, are recorded? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, I think we're done with today's episode, so I'll say a quick prayer for us and we'll get started uh, on the next one. Father God, we thank you so much that you have entrusted your word to us, Lord. We thank you that you don't ask us to have a blind faith, Lord, that you came down in the flesh so that we had something physical to point to, to look at, to discuss, to see, to taste, to touch. Well, maybe not to taste, but Lord. (laughs) Taste and see. (laughs) Yeah, taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, our 
our Bible, Lord, is one of the few religious just documents, Lord, that you invite us to test and that is open to criticism and that is open to skepticism, Lord, and still comes out on top. We just thank you, God, that we do not have to stick our heads in the sand, that we are not little ostriches, Lord, that we can have our eyes wide open and our faith can be increased as we become more and more sure of that which we have not seen. Mm. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. Have you been stumped by your kids already? Or maybe you have a nagging question of your own that you think would make a good podcast. Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we will do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. We are all in this together.